Good morning. You guys doing well? Sounds like it. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. Guess what we're going to talk about today? Marriage. Marriage 101, you're going to need to listen up there, mister. I'm in a, uh, a number of small groups, one that I meet with on Thursday mornings in a coffee shop. I told the guys I'm going to be talking about marriage this weekend, and I said I could use some advice, and so they gave me some advice. One of the guys uh, in the group, Larry Mathis, uh, told all of us the wedding day advice that his mom gave him, and this was just before he was going to go up with the pastor at the front of the chapel, before his wife would walk down the aisle, his future wife would walk down the aisle, and this is what his mom said, today I can no longer be the most important woman in your life, that place is reserved for your wife. Good, I like that, and then she continued on and said, the rules for a happy marriage are live every day as if it were your last, and live every night as if it were your first. It's good advice. And then she said, if that doesn't work, do whatever she says and buy her whatever she wants. So some of you ladies are almost giving another standing ovation. Oh! So that's uh, marriage 101. Stand with me for closing prayer. So, no, we've got a lot of work to do this morning, so I'm, I'm so delighted that you're here today. Uh, God's Word gives us great insight on this topic. Take a look at your sermon notes at the top. This is kind of, uh, kind of the springboard here for our study. Singleness and marriage are both gifts from God. That's the first thing you need to know. Singleness and marriage are both gifts from God, so uh, you shouldn't... Um, over-desire marriage or under-desire marriage, and you shouldn't be overly excited about getting married and, and too disappointed that you're not married, because they're both gifts from God. Next point in your notes, because human romance is a glorious experience, but even the best is a gift from God and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing God's love. There's nothing in the horizontal in the temporal that can match the vertical, the eternal. Connecting with the intimate God is absolutely amazing. Nothing more soul-satisfying and life-liberating than that. And uh, we just get dim glimpses of this through our relationships and through our marriage relationships. You need to know that. I nearly wrecked my marriage because I didn't understand that and I didn't live that out. I tended to put too much weight uh, on my marriage relationship, and it really uh, created major problems. I, I took a good thing and turned it into an ultimate thing in a lot of different ways. And I was trying to get from my wife what I needed to be getting from God. Here's the next point on your notes. If you don't develop a deeply fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. So this is what Desert Breeze is about. We want you to develop a deeply fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing compares, nothing competes, nothing will complete you like that. 
Lonely, insecure people become lonely, insecure married people. And so, um, we got a lot to talk about here this morning. A couple things real quick. Uh, last weekend, we were working through First Peter, and I talked about uh, the gospel, talked about the good news, and we, we talked and shared with you a, a lot about our vision, our mission. Uh, that message is not online yet, but it will be probably by Tuesday or, when, or by Monday or Tuesday of this week. If you weren't here, make sure you listen to it. It'll give, uh, bring you up to speed with where we are as a church, where we're going, what's happening here at Desert Breeze. Also, as it relates to this topic, uh, this is quite an ambitious study I'm taking on this morning. I really felt like all of what I'm going to say to you needed to be in one message, so it's good. we're going to be here for at least an hour, okay? So just be ready. I usually like to only go for about 45 minutes, but sometimes I've pushed 50, but this will probably be about an hour. So just hang in there with me. I think it's worth sitting in here and listening to it because you need to hear the whole, the whole message of what we're going to say. If you want more information on this, we did a series uh, a couple years ago through the book of Ephesians where we covered the fifth chapter of Ephesians. I'm going to be referring to the fifth chapter. It's a wonderful chapter on marriage. We did two weeks on that, and that was the series... Uh, Life, there's an app for that, and if you download our DB app, you can access that and listen to that, uh, those two. So I would encourage you to do that. Now, you need to know before we pray that what I'm about to say is not politically correct. There's quite a firestorm when it relates to this topic of marriage in our damn time, and you just you need to know that. And I'm going to be very biblically correct, but not very politically correct. And so I, I ask you, I want you to hear the heart of God in this. Because I know that there's a group of people here, all three services from a broad spectrum of influences and thoughts and ideas, and I want you more than anything to hear uh, our God's heart for us and what he intends for us to experience. And if you, and if you miss his heart, you're going to miss what's being said here. And, um, and so that's where we're headed this morning, and so we need a lot of help. We need a lot of help from the work of the Holy Spirit and God's holy word to really speak to our lives this morning. This is a real troubled area in, in our culture today, in America today, the, the marriage. And it's, there's un, it's under attack in a lot of different ways, and you're going to see why it is, but God gives us some really unbelievable and brilliant and beautiful counsel from his holy word. And so this is a great opportunity for us to really hear from God. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's dive into this uh, before we dive into our text this morning. Father God, you sent your son Jesus full of grace and truth to this earth to rescue us and to give us fullness of life, a life that is infinitely and eternally more than we deserve and more than we could ever dream. In your perfect love and infinite wisdom, you have given us your inspired and infallible word to instruct us in every area of life along with your Holy Spirit to empower us to live lives for your glory and our incomparable satisfaction in you. Teach us your divine design for marriage. Heal broken marriages. Revitalize lifeless marriages. And may Desert Breeze be a place where marriages reenact the irresistible gospel of our Savior Jesus. May Desert Breeze be a place where people develop a deeply fulfilling relationship with Christ so that we are single well and married well for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text, chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. This is where we're going with the study. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to give you some foundational 
um, biblical truths about marriage, and then we're going to look at the role for husbands and then the role for wives. And we begin reading chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, so stop there just for a minute. So this is in the context. The context is, is all about submission. He uses the word subject, verse 13, chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There are three human institutions that God has ordained, the home, the church, and government. He's saying, hey, we need to submit to those institutions. They're God-ordained. And he's teaching us how to live in a fallen world, how to live out the gospel in a fallen world, in a hostile world, in an antagonistic world. The very air we breathe is contrary to God and what God wants us to do. And so in that context, and of course, as we work through that, we talked about that as it relates to the government, our employer, and we talked uh, last week really uh, about uh, overcoming evil with good. And so he says, likewise, wives be subject, the word is submission, and the word is a kind of a military, the root of that is a military word, which means to fall in rank under the authority of another. And so, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Notice it doesn't say in general to men, but to your own husband. That's important. So that even if some do not obey the word. So he's talking to a wife that's married to an unbeliever. He's heard the word. He doesn't obey it. He doesn't believe in it. So even if he does not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Describes the conduct, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The word pure just means faithful. You're, just, you're devoted to him. You love him. You're faithful to him. So it talks about the woman's actions. And then it goes to her adornment. In verse 3, it says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. I find it really interesting that there's a number of groups out there, religious groups, fundamentalist groups, that would actually take this to an extreme and say, well, hey, women shouldn't have braided hair or wear, wear any kind of jewelry whatsoever. And if they actually took that to the furthest extent, then women should not only not have braided hair or put on gold jewelry, but they shouldn't wear clothes at all. I mean, based on what it says here. So if we're gonna apply the scripture, let's, let's apply it right, okay? So that's what we're going to start, no. But I find it interesting how we can just kind of pick and choose. And so there are actually groups out there that the women won't braid their hair, won't even cut their hair, won't wear any jewelry, and they'll base it on that verse. It's like, what? It's not talking about that. It's saying, don't make that the emphasis of your life, external beauty. And then it goes on, verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. Let's stop there just for a minute. That, that, that's... That's really amazing, the imperishable beauty as opposed to the perishable beauty. As I look around here, I know some of you, and I've known some of you for a real long time, and I, I can see the perishable beauty. It is perishing, as, as, as mine is. If, you've been, if you were with us in the early days of Desert Breeze, I had a full head of hair, blonde, long, when I married my wife, before we were married, I, I let her know right off the bat, I'm, I'm perishing, you know that. My hair is falling out, and you need to marry me because of the imperishable handsomeness that I have. Maybe you haven't seen it yet, but it's going to be there. Believe me, please. And so, I mean, that, so that's what it's talking about here. So if you're single, this is what you want to look for, because the tendency is to look at the external and go, whoa, boy, is she hot. Boy, is he hot. Whoa, 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 time, time out. 
That's perishable. Look to the imperishable. Because that's, the imperishable will get stronger through the years as the perishable gets weaker through the years. And believe me, it has in 37 years of marriage for my wife and I. Me more so than her. But because of the imperishable beauty, I've never been more attracted to my wife. I've never been more in love with, with her because of that as I've watched her just blossom and grow and just, it's amazing. And... Um, And so that's what he's talking about here. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. When I read that, I immediately think of Stepford Wives. That's a great movie. That's what we need, Stepford Wives, robotic wives walking around. I kind of get that idea, but that's not actually what he's even talking about. Gentle and quiet spirit. Honey, you should be gentle and quiet. And actually, that's in keeping with your personality when you read that in the full context of the scripture. And that's why I love women who are extroverts and introverts because both extroverts and introverts can be gentle and quiet. It's really more about that attitude and how they display that. And so I've oftentimes heard people use that against women that were extroverts and they had more of a personality that was more outgoing and it made them feel like uncomfortable that they couldn't be who they are. And that's not what it's saying whatsoever. So, uh, so gentle and quiet spirit. Now check this out. This is really good. Which in God's sight is very precious. He's living for an audience of one. In God's sight, oh, that's precious. He's, he's looking at you ladies and saying, wow, you are precious to me. I love you. I'm amazed at what I'm doing in your life and I'm cultivating something inside of you. You have beauty on the inside and out that I'm working on. And so that's, that's great. Verse five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God so where's her strength? Where's her emotional wealth come from? It's not coming from her husband. It's actually coming from, from God. My, her hope, her confidence, her security, her emotional wealth from God. Because if it's coming from your husband, you're not going to always get it. You're not going to always be able to respond appropriately, but it's coming from God. And this is how they used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What's that? Let me, let me underline that right there. Nancy, could you start calling me Lord? I've got scripture. <laughs> Pastor Scott last night told me a story of, uh, it was the late great coach Tom Landry, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he slid into bed one night with very cold feet and touched his wife with his cold feet and his wife responded by saying, Lord, your feet are cold. And he responded by saying, honey, in the privacy of our own home, you don't need to call me Lord. (laughs) Um, So that's a small L. I don't know if you noticed that. Small L. So actually what that means, so calling him Lord, it just basically means, sir, admiration, respect. That's what it means. Like she admires him. Um... And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now check that out. This is one courageous woman. She doesn't fear anything. And she's she's just like, "Ah, bring it on. Bring it on, dude. I can handle it. She's she's a tough gal. 
Now notice as it goes into the men's role, we have six verses for the women and we only have one verse for the men and I was trying to figure out why that's the case and I know exactly why because women need so much more help than the men and yeah you and I are in deep trouble dude (laughs) we're sleeping on the couch tonight That's not what that means, absolutely. It doesn't. Please believe me, it doesn't. Nancy, did you hear that? It doesn't. It doesn't believe that. No, no. Um, It means this because this was a society that actually looked at women as possessions. Very demeaning. And uh, they were often treated like they were, you know, cattle, like sheep or goats or something like that. And so these women got saved, experienced unbelievable freedom. So they were actually needing more help to navigate through this. And, and when we walk through this, there is a higher level of responsibility for men than there is for women. Believe me. And when I read it, I, it's pretty daunting for me. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's almost overwhelming when I read through this and what my role is. And I know I don't ever come close to it, but I want to. I have a desire to. So listen to what the, the guys, it says, likewise. So it's in the same theme of submission. And men are to submit to Christ, who is the head of the church, as women are to submit to the husband, who's the head of the home, is kind of what the, the Bible is giving us the pattern for, this structure of authority. By the way, this structure of authority is for protection, provision, and prosperity. This is God's heart behind this. And uh, so likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, let me lay some foundational principles as it relates to marriage. I I thought this was important considering the times that we live in. Marriage is God's idea. It is a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. That's the first point on your notes. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two. So when God created heavens and the earth and he created male, female, in that, in Genesis 2, 24, 25, he says the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and the man and woman were both naked and unashamed. That's God's plan, that's God's pattern and anything outside of that, uh, it defiles us and it defiles our culture is the language that is actually used. Now, I've had people actually wanna argue that and say, well, the Bible actually doesn't say that. Well, actually it does. It actually says it right here, right from the get-go. And I, and I don't know where the Mormons got this whole polygamy thing and they base it on scripture because it was never meant from the beginning. Polygamy, when they describes it, it's only descriptive, it's not prescriptive. There's a major difference between describing something that's in the Bible versus making it prescriptive. Oh, this is how you're supposed to live your life. So the Mormons got that wrong. You need to know that because when you go back to the foundation, it's, it is lifelong monogamous relationship between a man, one man, one woman. And that's, that's what the Bible says. And people will say, well, Jesus didn't actually say that. Well, actually he did. I put that down, Matthew 19, one through six. He repeated that. In fact, Jesus had a very high view of scripture. And, um, and I believe also that Jesus is God's son in the flesh. And I believe that Jesus came to this earth in blood and died for me. And I believe that he resurrected on the third day. And anything less than uh, bowing down and worshiping him and ordering my life around him and all that he says would be folly. 
God does not just give us arbitrary rules to keep us busy. You gotta keep the kids busy over summer because they'll get into trouble. No, these aren't arbitrary. These actually are the very nature of God. So when God establishes these foundational guidelines, rules, guardrails, he does that to protect us from the worst and to provide the very best for us. He's saying, I know how I've created you and this is what is in your best interest and you step outside of that, you defile yourself. And uh, Jesus goes through a whole list of sins besides same-sex attractions and, and other things, same-sex marriage and uh, he uses a, a word there in Mark 7, 20 through 23 that embraces anything that's outside of the parameters of monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. And he, he, uses, he talks even about slander and greed. And uh, so all of this is living outside of what God intends for us. And it, uh, it defiles us. Um, and so you've got to see the heart of God. You're not going to accept this if you don't know the heart of God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to understand. You're not going to live by his rules. That's just the bottom line. And uh, I, I read a book about a year ago. It's called Torn. It's by Justice uh, Justin Lee, he was a young man who had same-sex attractions, was raised in a Christian home, and uh, the, the Christian community was extremely hateful towards him and did not create a safe place for him to work through those issues, and so he really kind of went the other direction. And in that book, I agree with the first part of the book because uh, the, the Christian community has been very hateful. And, um, and then he goes on and talks about, he used the scripture try to try to show us that, hey, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, it's okay. And then he, at the end he says he's not a theologian, and you can tell he's not a theologian because uh, there's a lot of uh, scripture twisting that's going on. It's, it's just biblically not accurate. It's, it's not a good book. But it gave me a sense of understanding, and, and I'm currently in, in relationship with a number of people that struggle in this area, wanting them to help them to walk through this. And for them to, to embrace fully what God has to say about their life, they have to be in relationship. They have to understand. You can't live out the grace of God unless you don't understand the grace of God. You're not absorbed in the grace of God. So it really begins with the grace of God, and then out of that, you begin to live out of, out of that grace. And so that's important. There's another book I'm reading currently right now. It's a really wonderful book. It's, uh, the title of the book is, is this, Is God Anti-Gay? It's by Sam Alberry. He's a, a pastor who struggles with same-sex attraction. It's very solid uh, theologically, and he goes through the different arguments throughout Scripture to show that, no, this is God's intention for us. This is his foundation. It's God's idea. It is a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. And here's the next point. Men and women are equal in importance but different in performance, complementing one another for an enduring whole life relationship. Now on your notes, it says Genesis 1.26. You need to add 26 to 28 to that. Now let me talk to you about three different roles as it relates to, or, or three different models for roles and responsibilities in a marriage relationship. Um, and maybe you're familiar with these. There are three different models. One is the traditional model, and maybe you've seen this, and this is actually a, a model that most people think of when it, they think of women submitting to husbands. It's the husband is the boss who barks orders from his straddle lounger to his servant wife. It's kind of the Archie Bunker or the Frank Romano. You guys know who Frank Romano is from Everyone Loves Raymond? They're, they're tyrant. It's a tyrant model. That is not biblical. 
That is not a biblical model. And actually, I've seen, that, I've, I've seen where that model's been taught in, many, in, in a, a group of fundamentalist-type churches. It's not a healthy model. It's a bad model. It's not a biblical model. Another model is the egalitarian, and the churches embrace this one. It's a wrong model, too. It's called a partnership. It's 50-50. This would represent more of Ray Romano. This would be, he's an abdicator. So you've got the tyrant, and then you've got the abdicator, that other extreme. And so Ray Romano from Everyone Loves Raymond is more of that abdicator. The problem is that this is a leadership, uh, this is a leaderless home. Home has no direction when you do the, the partnership. In fact, if you do any kind of research, the problem is that most businesses that fail are usually partnerships because there's no real clear leadership. The Bible teaches complementary. Complementary is that two equals with different functions. So as I stated here, men and women are equal in importance but different in performance. And so there's this uniqueness, there's this uniqueness in how God's wired us up in different roles, and yet there's this equality, both image bears image bearers of God. And so the two equals with different functions, men are servant leaders, leadership role of courage and responsibility, and women are servant lovers, nurturing role of care and support, creating this synergy that otherwise uh, we would never have. Synergy is a word that means combined effort is greater than the sum of their individual uh, effects. So combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual effects. So it's like this one plus one equals not two, but five, 10, 20. There's a synergy that play, uh, because of God's divine design that happens that not only is that marriage relationship, man and woman, a reenactment of the gospel, putting on display the beauty of who Christ is and his bride, the church, but there is a oneness that can be accomplished that cannot be accomplished through same-sex uh, relationships. Nor can there be procreation same-sex relationships. And same-sex relationships basically are an undermining of this idea that God has established as being foundational uh, to community and to society. And uh, in fact, as it says, the man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the man and woman were both naked and felt no shame. And so there's this synergy, and believe me, I would not be able to do half of what I do. I probably wouldn't even be a pastor today if it wasn't for my wife and, and how she has been a part of my life and created this synergy effect in my own life and ability to minister. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, when you, so you see these distinct roles, and then you see in chapter 2 of Genesis where God looks at man and says, oh boy, this guy needs a lot of help. It is kind of interesting because he goes through the first chapter and he's creating, 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 and he keeps saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he takes a look at the guy and he goes, oh my goodness. He doesn't quite say it like that, but I mean, he says, it is not good for what? For the man to be alone. And then he says, I will make a helper suitable. Those words are beautiful words. Those are amazing words. The word helper is not a demeaning word whatsoever. Uh, word helper almost always used in the Bible to describe God himself. When God's our helper, it's like describing God. So it's, almost, it's like having God with you when she steps up and, and, and does her role and takes on responsibility. And it's also a military term for reinforcements. 
And it's, it's saying, man, you're going to be facing battles that you need all the reinforcement you can get from her. The word suitable is this. It's like opposite of him, incomplete without the other. And so, uh, so the Bible just gives us this beautiful picture of, of the man and woman relationship. I like the paraphrase from Matthew Henry. He says, woman was not taken from man's head to be above him. She was not taken from his feet to be walked on by him, but she was taken from his side to be close to him, from under his arm to be protected by him. Remember rib, rib? She was made out of his rib. And from under his arm to be protected by him, from near to his heart to be loved by him. I love that. That's beautiful. And so that's, uh, that's that. Next point on your notes. Um, and so marriage is to be a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ that refines our character and creates a stable community for the birth and nurture of children. You guys know this. Empirical evidence is out there that the undermining of the family uh, creates an undermining of community and society, and that's what's currently happening. Let's talk this reenactment thing. Uh, in other words, my marriage relationship is to be a visual aid for folks to, to say, to look at our lives and to be able to, for my marriage relationship with Nancy to point to the ultimate marriage relationship with the church in Christ. Uh, it's interesting that the Bible starts with a wedding and ends with a wedding. By the way, you're not going to be married in heaven. Oop, I just heard a bunch of women say, praise God for that. <laughs> you weren't saying that? No, you won't be actually married in heaven even contrary to what Mormon, Mormons say, where women are forever popping out spirit babies. <laughs> ladies, any ladies here want to be pregnant for all eternity? I didn't have to go there, did I? But I did, but uh, where was I with this whole thing here? This is the last service, I just get crazy, don't I? Okay, I, w I was thinking about something. What are they talking about here? Oh! Yeah, it starts with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. Because see, our, our marriage is meant to point to the ultimate wedding. In fact, we're going to have the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where the church is united to Christ. And so, if, and, I, and I'll tell you what, I love being married. And yet that just tells me that there's even something better than this. And that's the, the church connected with, with our, our groom, Jesus. It'll just be amazing. And so that's, that's the picture in fact, I've done a lot of weddings, and this is my favorite part of doing weddings, is that when I walk in the front with the, with the groom, he's standing next to me, and then all the bridal party comes in with the music, and then there's that moment. There's that moment in the wedding. It's kind of quiet. The music begins, and then the dad walks the bride around the corner, and all of a sudden you see her, and everybody in the, in the crowd stands and looks back. She is amazingly gorgeous. Just, oh, and, I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her, I'm looking at him, looking at her, looking at him, and he's, all he can do to contain himself, ah. <laughs> and the last wedding I did was for Cameron uh, Miller, Cameron and Ashley Miller, and the music was just fabulous, and the music's playing, she comes around the corner, and he starts bawling like a baby, <laughs> and then she starts bawling like a baby, and then I start bawling like a baby. <laughs> Oh my goodness, and if anybody didn't know, they would think, 
he's bawling like a baby because he figured out what he's getting himself into. <laughs> now, he's bawling like a baby because he's overtaken by her beauty. He's overtaken by her. He's like, oh. And it's in those moments I have these spiritual experiences of Christ as the groom and his church, the bride, and how he looks at us and how he adores us and how he gave his life for us. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at a wedding thinking about this whole idea of what the scripture teaches. So the, so the, the wedding at the beginning is meant to point to the wedding at the end when we're united with him for all eternity. Oh, it's breathtaking. Just amazing. Not only that, you'll notice I put here too is that it refines our character. So marriage is to refine our character. And boy, does it ever. I am not the person I was the first few years of, of our marriage relationship. And thank God, because Nancy would have left me a whole long time ago. Seriously, and she would have had every right to. That's a total jerk. And, and praise God, God worked on my life and she helped me you know, with that process, but it refines our character. Uh, marriage is the fiery furnace you walk into that doesn't create the dross, it only reveals the dross in your life. And then the last thing here is that it creates a stable community for the birth and the nurture of children. So as the family goes, as the marriage goes, so goes the family, as the family goes, so goes society. Leaders for the church and state are forged in the home. So now, let's talk about husband's roles and... Uh, Wife's roles, first of all, husband's roles. And this is prescriptive for marriage, but it's also descriptive for singles of what singles should look for in a marriage uh, partner. And this is also descriptive for getting off the crazy cycle. Anybody know what the crazy cycle is? Yeah, how many have ever been on the crazy cycle? I bet a lot of you have been on the crazy cycle and didn't even know it. The crazy cycle is, is actually a, it's a concept taken from Love and Respect series in that book, it's without love, she reacts without respect, and without respect, she, he reacts without love. So my wife is uh, disrespectful to me. My natural inclination is to be unloving back to her. And then when I'm unloving back to her, then she's disrespectful back. And then when she's disrespectful back, I'm unloving again back to her. Oh, I'll show her. Yeah, you will, you knucklehead. I mean, so you get off the cycle by recognizing, hey, she was a little bit disrespectful. I wonder if I said something or did something that was unloving. I need to ask her. I felt, I felt some defensiveness. I felt some harshness. See, that's how you stop that cycle. You've got to be mature enough to be able to recognize it and do that. And I wonder if I did something. Maybe I wasn't the cause, but maybe it was just the occasion. Maybe she's struggling with something in her life. Maybe it's something from her past, but you'll never know that until you begin to explore that and you begin to work through that. It can be unbelievably healing. That's what we're going to talk about right here. This will help you to get off the crazy cycle. Here's husband's role, lead with love. You're to lead with love. Ephesians 5.25, that's, that's an overwhelming verse for a guy like me, for any of the guys, if you really understand the implications of it. It says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He died for the church. And it's amazing, it's overwhelming, and I, I know I don't even come close to that, but I, oh, I want to, and I know that I'm totally dependent upon the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and God's word. And of course, Jesus defined what this leadership looks like. It's totally different from our society. Leadership in our society is, hey, CEO, Fortune 500 company, all the perks, and everybody's kissing up, and everyone serves, and I bark orders, and no, 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 time out. He redefined leadership. Leadership is about servanthood, 
In fact, it says, I've got the verses there, Matthew, or uh, where are they here? Oh, yeah, Mark 10, 42 through 45. It even ends with Jesus saying, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus even took it a little bit further in John 13, 12 through 16. The night he was betrayed, what did he do to his disciples to show to them what leadership is? He washed their feet. So guys, listen to me. Listen, this is what leadership is, leading with love. It's leading on your knees with the towel in hand. It's servanthood. It's serving her. That's leadership. Um, Women, many women chafe under the command to submit to their husbands, but I'm convinced that it's easier for a woman to submit to her husband than it is for a man to love his wife the way Christ loves the church because there is no selfishness in the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. Jesus would never, he would never abuse, tyrannize, exploit, belittle his bride. See, a servant leader is to always put his wife's needs above his own, only overruling when you can't agree and believe the way she is going isn't good for her, you, or the marriage. There's only a few times in 37 years that I've ever done that. One was we were in an unhealthy church experience and she was really connected relationally and I felt that it was a dysfunctional, unhealthy church. And I said, we need to leave. And she didn't want to and it took a while for me to get her out of that church but I did not abandon her to that church. I stayed with her in that church and kept talking with her as best as I could to try to help her to see that. I would be a fool not to seek her counsel and wisdom on the issues that we face as a couple and as a family. That's just asinine to not, I mean, when we we were gonna start this church, I I told her, I feel like God is is leading me to start a church, and and that means you, too. And she said, I need to pray about it. It was a couple months before she came back, but I said, I'm not gonna do this unless unless you're all in. And I need to know that you're, you're with me in this because otherwise I, I, there's no way that I can do that. And so that's part of what that means as you come together. Listen, my, my wife is my best friend. She's my drinking buddy. We close those places down at night. Coffee shops, okay? We were out with some, we were out with some friends the other night and they kicked us out of the coffee shop, okay? But we, we hike together, we, we ride our tandem bike together, we just enjoy each other's company and we share life together. And I, but I wanna take the initiative and lead and, and, and I need her counsel in that and we do it together and that's, that's the idea here. Um, so here's a couple things for us guys. Study her comprehensively. So lead with love, study her comprehensively. Do you notice in verse seven it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now fill in the blank, look up here guys, all the guys, guys look up here. (laughs) I love this, this is really, this is brilliant. He doesn't say try to understand her or understand her, he doesn't say understand her. He doesn't say understand her, that's your job, understand her. He says live with her in an understanding way because you'll never understand her. (laughs) Huh? It's almost like a a divine trick God's playing on us. It's like he's saying, check this out. Hey, live with her and understand. 
understanding way. They'll be scratching their head their whole life trying to figure her out. But it's going to teach them to depend on me, their God, and to be patient and kind and show unconditional love. I mean, I'll I, I tell you what, you know, as husbands and wives, and I, I have been, in 37 years, I have been married to five different women. <laughs> and they've all been Nancy. And, and she would say, she's been married to 10 different husbands. And they've all been me. I mean, when you go through 37 years, we're working on 38, you know, it's just like, whoa, there's a lot of change, a lot of things happening and trying to understand each other. But that's why he says, live in an understanding way. And this is so counterintuitive for us guys. I mean, it's just, it's crazy because let me, let me walk you through this. So behaviorally, women are feelings-oriented and men are facts-oriented. Women are relational, men are task-oriented. Women are intimate, men are independent. Women need an hour a day of intimate conversation. Men need 20 minutes a week. I mean, uh, women are more verbal, men are less verbal. Average man uh, speaks about 12,000 words a day. Average woman, 24,000 words a day. Isn't that interesting? And so, I mean, we're just, we're wired up. And I begin to realize here just recently, this began, it was really convicting for me because I was telling my wife, when I, every time I'd come to my wife here recently, uh, I would ask her, you know, get her opinion and ask her a question and she'd go into like a two-hour explanation. And so I got to, I was getting frustrated, so I'd just go to her and say, say yes or no. And then she'd go into a two-hour explanation. No, no, no. Yes or no? You're killing me. And then I realized, you jerk. Not her, me. I'm just thinking, you know what? Live with her in an understanding way. That was very convicting for me as I began to realize, you know what? That's just that's who she is. She's, she's going to share her heart with you, and you've got to take the time and work through that. I've, I've got a book that I read a number of years ago. It's called Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. And the reason for that is men are compartmentalized. That's why, ladies, you can talk to your husband and go around the world with topics, you know, jump from one topic to the next. He's still on the first topic. <laughs> and he thinks you're still talking about the first topic because he's still in that waffle. You're jumping around the world and you come all the way back and he's still like, he's still there. <laughs> and that's just, that's, that's how it is. But in this, they go through and he says, what she really means. If she says, we need, she means, I want. If she says, it's your decision, she means the correct decision should be obvious by now. <laughs> if she says, do what you want, she means you'll pay for this later. <laughs> if she says, you're so manly, she means you need a shave and you sweat a lot. If she says, this kitchen is so inconvenient, she means, I want a new house. <laughs> if she says, I want new curtains, she means, and carpeting, and furniture, and wallpaper. And then it goes on, and it talks about uh, the man, and it says, if he says, so what he really means, if he says, I'm hungry, he means, I'm hungry. <laughs> if he says, I'm sleepy, he means, I'm sleepy. If he says, I'm tired, he means, I'm tired. If he says, do you want to go to a movie? He means, 
I'd eventually like to have sex with you. <laughs> if he says, can I take you out to dinner? He means I'd eventually like to have sex with you. <laughs> if he says, what's wrong, first time, he means I don't see why you are making such a big deal out of this. If he says, what's wrong, second time, he means, what meaningless, self-inflicted psychological trauma are you going through now? <laughs> if he says, what's wrong, third time, he means, I guess sex tonight is out of the question. <laughs> okay, enough of that. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Study her comprehensively. Be a student of her. Listen to her. Know her love languages. Be an expert on your wife. Your, well, your job isn't to fix your wife. I'm terrible at that. I constantly want to pull out the old pulpit. I'm Pastor Ray. I'm here to assist you. Let me preach to you my last sermon. If you had been listening to the last sermon, that helps, huh? As she kicks me in the knee. No, that's ridiculous. They don't need to be fixed, guys. In fact, you can't fix them. Nobody can fix them. No, I just, no God can. I shouldn't have said that. God can. And, and this, is how, this, is what, this is what your job is. Help her to worship him because that will bring about wholeness and holiness in her. See, that's what she's needing more than anything. Don't try to fix her. Just point her to, point her to Jesus. Lovingly point her to him. See, and that's, that's what we do best. That's what it means. Study her comprehensively and help her to see Christ. And here's the next one, is that honor her with chivalry. Um, it's verse 7. It says, showing honor, showing honor as the weaker vessel. Now, this weaker does not mean spiritually because women are actually more spiritual than men. There are women here that are just unbelievably in tune with Christ here at this church. And... And my wife, she has insight into what God's speaking to us many times. And so it's not that. It's not biologically either. <laughs> Women don't get as many colds as men. And quite frankly, my wife would say, most men are really wimps when it comes to getting colds. How many women would agree with that? Yeah, you didn't have to be so aggressive in raising your hand on that one. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Guys wimp out. Women are still going to work, taking care of the kids. And, and women are stronger just biologically. They do, actually, research says they do better in concentration camps. I mean, when you think about it, isn't raising those midget demons a little bit like a concentration camp? <laughs> no wonder. And so women are also, uh, so it's, and women are stronger actually emotionally. Women long, uh, live longer than men. Men are so jacked up emotionally, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just amazing. They're so emotionally constipated, it's unbelievable. And... Uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but uh, I'm saying a lot of things uh, in this that I probably shouldn't have said, but that's true because guys aren't as in touch with their emotions, and I think that that, that eats away at them, and one of the reasons why they, uh, they die at earlier ages, because women are more in touch. They're more about their feelings. They can express their feelings, and they're more relational, and there's just so much to that, but this is what it's saying here, physically, physically. Men, we're to take the bullets and take on the pit bulls. Yeah. 
That's what it's saying. Uh, Gary Smalley did a series. It was called Hidden Keys to Loving Relationships back in the 80s and the 90s. And one of the series is the, pa- the place was packed out kind of like a place like this. And he got up there and he's teaching about honor. And he had this, uh, this Stradivarius violin. It was worth about $200,000. I was looking online and they just found one in New York City that's worth about $10 million. And so he began to describe it. And immediately when he said this Stradivarius, and he was showing them, it's worth about $200,000. There was almost like a, and just as you guys did just a second ago, you went, oh, they went, wow. Oh. And then he said, here, I want you to pass this around. Be careful because it's worth a lot of money. I want you to drop this. So they begin to pass it around the, the, the crowd very carefully. And then he said, that's honor. When you go, oh, wow. I can't believe you're married to me. I'm in the presence of royalty. Wow. So your wife should get a sense that, wow, you honor her. You're going to be gentle and careful with her. Not careless. Care- oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I say something that was offensive? Please forgive me. I would not want to do anything that would, that would hurt you in any way. See, that's, that's the idea. Honor her with chivalry. Serve her compellingly. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. What does he mean by that? Hey, along with us, they're heirs of the grace. We have both together grace. Best friends with the goal of wholeness. Best friends with the goal of wholeness, helping each other. Marriage helps us to become our future glory selves. Here's the language of marriage. I should be saying this, she should be saying this to me. I see glimpses of what God is making you into, and I want to be a part of that. I'm excited about what God's doing in your life. I see him doing some amazing work in you. I want to be a part of that. I want to assist God in that. And so we are to uh, help our spouses to love Jesus more than they love us because when they love Jesus more than they love us, they will love us sacrificially. So guys, pray with your wife. Study the Bible with your wife. Get the growing notes out. Do that. This is one of the biggest neglects of most men. I'm a pastor. I neglect this. I struggle with this. You need to pray for her. You need to pray with her. You need to take the initiative. That's what leadership means, taking the initiative, particularly, first and foremost, spiritually. You know how, many, how much conflict would be resolved if you just pray together regularly? That's pretty intimate, too. I know it's a hard thing for us guys, but you need to do that. And so let's move on to the wife's. <laughs> Whoops, looks like we've run out of time. And the wives will be on a retreat next weekend. Now, actually, we need to deal with it. Let's talk about it here. So here's, so the men can be a tyrant or an abdicator. Women can be controlling or overly compliant. Follow with respect. So they are to submit to their husbands. Uh, in fact, let me read that verse to you. It actually says Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. So wives... Uh, Submit to your own husbands, notice own husbands, not men in general, but to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Um, This is never blind or absolute, but always respectful. One of the greatest tragedies of our day is the epidemic of wife abuse. Men, listen to me. This is a serious problem. And it's a serious problem in the church. And feminists have all the ammunition they need because the church has used texts like this 
to base and to counsel women back into abusive relationships, thinking it was submission. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is nothing in this Bible that would ever, ever tell you to subject yourself to any form of abuse. And men, listen to me. It's so critical. Never let it be said of you that you would ever let your anger get out of control and that you would hurt your wife or even attempt to hurt her. It is unconscionable that you would intimidate her, bully her, push her in any way. This is my advice to women. By the way, there are counselors in the valley here. There are churches, fundamentalist churches, that have done that. Nine times out of ten, they have counseled women back into abusive situations. It just so breaks my heart. It so troubles me because it so misrepresents the church and Christ and his word. And that's why, the, that's why feminist organizations have ammunition because of what the church has done in the name of God, which is ridiculous and crazy. And so, ladies, this is what I would counsel you. You call the civil authorities, ASAP, 911. Don't even tolerate it for the least bit. If you feel that your life is being threatened in any way, you call the civil authorities and you call church authorities. You be a part of a local church family, but you call the civil authorities first and foremost. That's why I love our police. I love our government. And, and, that, and you need to call. You need to work through that. If you're struggling even doing that, you need to come and talk to somebody. We're going to help you with that. And uh, because guys like that need to be in jail. And uh, guys, listen to me. If you struggle with anger... And us guys, we do. We struggle with anger. You need to come and talk to us. Let's work through that. You got to get over that. She's not the cause of your anger. You're the cause of your anger, not her. You're the one that makes you angry. And you're the one that has to work through that. And so we're here to help you to support you through that. And, uh, and so that's important before I even walk through this and this responsibility. By the way, there's, there's a number of women I see too. We live in a trend where we go to that other extreme where, where women are divorcing their husbands because they're unkind, rude, and they're jerks. They're not abusive. So you got to know the difference between abuse and unkind, rude jerks, okay? And so just you got to know the balance. You need help. You need support. You need people to help you to kind of navigate the, uh, through that. And so, so, wives, here you go. Let your actions speak to him louder than your words of the gospel. Be subject to your own husband that they may be one without a word. Uh, how many have seen the movie the big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Show of hands. And uh, so, in that movie, it's really, a, a, there's a part in there where Tula, the daughter is a little bit frustrated over dad. And I don't think dad is a tyrant. He's just narrow in his perspective in, in the female role. Thinks that, the, eh, you don't go to college, Tula. You need to stay at home. You need to get married and have babies. And so Tula responds to mom by saying, Ma, dad is so stubborn. What he says goes, oh, the man is the head of the house. And then Maria, the mom, I love it, it's classic. She says, let me tell you something, Tula. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah. I mean, she, and she goes in there, and, 
and talks to this husband and says, hey, listen, dude. And, and see, I think it's a good example that men have authority, but women have tremendous influence. Submission doesn't mean a woman avoids every effort to change her husband. Verse one of this text that we're studying, that he may be one without a word. The context is changing him. It doesn't mean, submission doesn't mean that she has no thoughts or opinions or feelings because verse six, how is she gonna express, you know, she's to express her thoughts and feelings. You're not gonna know her thoughts and feelings unless she's gentle and quiet. In other words, she's supposed to be gentle and quiet in the expression of her thoughts, opinions, and feelings. And uh, he's saying that's, that's the atmosphere. She's supposed to express that. And then, of course, she's certainly not cowering. This is one courageous woman that's talking about in verse six. She doesn't fear anything. And this is in the context that she, uh, she's precious in God's sight, audience of one, and then she, her hope is in, in God. And so um, let your actions speak to him louder than your words of the gospel. Here's the next one. Let your inner beauty attract him more than your outer beauty. Do not let your adorning be external, but the hidden person of the heart. Now, I, I sought my wife's advice on this last part, and I think she gave me some good advice on this. But let me just share with you some thoughts on this. Makeup can't enhance an ugly disposition or an immoral lifestyle. All the makeup in the world cannot enhance an ugly disposition or an immoral lifestyle. Godly women, I believe this, godly women are the most beautiful women on this planet with or without makeup. And we have some amazing godly women at this church that are amazingly beautiful. And... Uh, Beyonce, Katy Perry, the Kardashians have nothing on a Proverbs 31 woman. And I can't figure this out that Beyonce is a self-proclaimed, uh, you know, uh, she's uh, a model for women. Uh, she's self-proclaimed with women to follow her. It just it sounds crazy. And this is what the Bible would say about women like that. Proverbs 11:22, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. I, sorry. That's what it's saying. It's, it's pretty rude. So let me ask you, what is modesty? So here's the question on modesty. Let's talk modesty. And let me just say, ladies, ladies, representing the men here at this church, please, I, I beg of you, please be modest in your dress. When your neckline is down low and your hemline is up and your clothes are way too tight, us guys already have enough problems, seriously. I mean, pornography is a major issue. And we don't need for you to contribute to the objectifying of, of women. And that's what you're doing. And so we struggle enough. We ask you to, to be modest. But let me define it for you. John Piper, he calls it undistracting attractiveness. So I'll ask my wife when we're watching something, is that undistracted attractiveness? And she'll go, mm, no. And so I'll ask her and I'll tell her, no, I don't think it is either, but I just want to get your opinion on it. But un <laughs> as she smacks me on the head no she doesn't do that but uh, undistracting attractiveness and this is what he says it's a vision for a Christian for the Christian to steer a middle course between idolizing our bodies and neglecting them it includes giving our bodies enough attention with sleep, diet, exercise and upkeep to avoid being distractingly unattractive and reining in our impulses to pursue a self-focused attractiveness that distracts 
Your body is a precious gift from God, and the Bible is clear about its highest purpose, to make God look good, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, and Philippians 1, 20. Are we using our bodies in such a way that God is seen to be more precious than our bodies? People can tell if you are focused more on the inner person of beauty than the outer person of beauty. And he, he cites here 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, the text that we're looking at. The best of bodies in this age will soon find their beauty frustratingly elusive. The most voluptuous female body you have ever seen in your life is going to be ashen-faced in a coffin before she knows it. And then where will be all of the investments that that temporary outward beauty made? So here's what you want to do, and I would ask the ladies in the church, ask other ladies, is this undistracting attractiveness? That's a good phrase for that. Here's the last point we're finishing up right here. Let your admiration of him make him want to be a more godly man. Verses 5 and 6, it says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, Sarah obeyed, calling him Lord. Check this uh, video clip out from As Good As It Gets. At this place they make me buy a new outfit they let you in in a house dress i don't get it what wait well, no wait why where are you going now, why i mean I, uh no, i didn't mean it that way i mean you gotta sit down you can still give me the dirty look just sit down and give it to me pay me a compliment melvin i need one Quick, you have no idea how much what you just said hurt my feelings. The monument that someone gets that they need you, they threaten to walk out. A compliment is something nice about somebody else. This is a request from June. And now or never. Okay. Happy anniversary. And mean it. Okay. Now, I got a real great compliment for you, and it's true. I'm so afraid you're about to say something awful. Don't be pessimistic. It's not your style. Okay. Here I go. Clearly a mistake. I've got this, what, ailment? My doctor, a shrink that I used to go to all the time, he says that in 50 or 60% of the cases, a pill really helps. I hate pills. Very dangerous thing, pills. Hate. I'm using the word hate here about pills. Hate. My compliment is that night when you came over and told me that you would never... Um... um all right, well... Uh, you were there, you know, you know what you said. Well, my compliment to you is the next morning I started taking the pills. I don't quite get how that's a compliment for me. You make me want to be a better man. That's maybe the best compliment of my life. It's a great clip. So take a look at your notes. Let's wrap it up here. 
verse 7, it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. From R.C. Sproul, a theologian, he says this is an elliptical expression. If husbands fail to submit to their role and responsibility to lead their wives with love, their prayers will be hindered. And the same is true for wives if they fail to follow with respect. I think they're not just hindered. I think it's evidence that they are hindered. Because when you understand his love for you, is it's out of that that we can fulfill our roles and responsibilities. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? You guys have been unbelievably kind and gracious and patient. I felt like it was important that we covered that whole topic. It was a basic uh, marriage seminar. And so thank you for hanging in there with me. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that human romance is a glorious experience, but even the best is a gift from you and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing you. You are our most satisfying reality. May we be husbands who lead with love and wives who follow with, with, with respect, a witness to and worship of the glorious gospel of our Savior. May his sacrificial love for us be both the pattern and power for our sacrificial love for one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.